You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Associate Minister Julie Blinker. Come and See series where we've been inviting friends to come and see what it's like to follow Jesus. Come and see what it's like to be in church. Come and see what it's like to be a Christian. Um, We've loved having you and I hope that you enjoy being here with us tonight. Today Renee is going to tell a story that Jesus told his followers. It's called the story of the prodigal son. You might have heard it. So it's sort of the story of the runaway son, the story of the son that escaped Um, In doing this, I'm hoping to draw out some of the characters in that son, in that son's story, and link it to my own story. Um, There's a bit of a a spoiler alert. It ends with me choosing to follow Jesus, and my life turned around 180% after doing that. We'll start with Renee. Jesus told this story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who set him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When I was 17 years old, I was living in a Buddhist temple in Thailand. It was in the middle of a forest, and I would follow the monks around, so I took these photos. Uh, In the morning, we would wake up at about 4 a.m., meditate for two hours, and then we'd go and collect our food donations uh, from the local villages, and that's what we'd eat for the day. We would have one meal in the morning. We'd have to be silent until 3 p.m., which I personally found quite hard. And then at 3 p.m., we'd come together to learn about compassion and the Dharma wheel and aspects of Buddhism. I was there for a few days, and there was a particular... Um, this just, there was a lot of things happening on this day that was making me feel a bit anxious about what was happening there. In particular, there was a monk that was being a little bit sleazy and inappropriate. And in that context, that never happened. So my sort of radar was waking up going, far out, I'm really scared. Like, I'm a 17-year-old girl in the middle of a forest with no smartphone or technology and no way out, like the closest village was quite a way away. I got scatter and scatter, and um, there was a few things that, that made me just panic. So my eyes were welling up with tears, going, far out, what am I going to do? I was one of the only females in this temple, and I was racing back to my little dorm that was through the forest. That's, I actually run better than that. Like, that was, that was just me, like... Anyway, so I was walking quickly back to my forest, uh, back to the dorms. And while I was running, I prayed, God, help me. And at that time, 
I wasn't a Christian, but I had a little fashion necklace on, just a little cross that I'd been wearing for the fun of it, I, I guess. And when I prayed, God help me, I felt that cross burning on my skin, so much so that I checked in the mirror later to see, has it left a burn on my skin? Like it was that hot and that tangible. And with the heat in that little necklace came this overwhelming sense of peace and this overwhelming clarity in thinking about what I needed to do. And what that was was check out the next day. But at the time, it was just this supernatural thing that happened when I prayed, God help me. I went back, locked up as much as I could, and as I said, checked out the next day. It's not exactly the story of the runaway son mentioned in the story, but you can see that I too was quite far away from home and in a place of need. That year I'd lived on the border of Thailand and Cambodia as my gap year, and I was throwing myself into all things Thai, all things Buddhist, all things that teachers and students and the Rotary clubs would do. So it was, it was quite a lot of Buddhism and temple involvement during that time. Well, when I turned 18, I came back to the University of Queensland in Brisbane. And it turns out, surprise, surprise, that the Buddhist principles that you learn living with monks didn't really gel that well with the party principles of being a college dorm student at the University of Queensland. So the Buddhism principles sort of went down although I'd, I'd been wrestling with some of those things anyway, and sort of I just started trying whatever was available and throwing myself into university life. I think of it back then as a little bit of a, a spiritual smorgasbord. I was kind of taking what I liked from what I could find. It's like, oh, community, yeah, I love communism. That's great, I like that part of it. Hmm, I want to set up my own speech and drama studio. Maybe I'll do capitalism, yeah. Oh, Reiki looks interesting. I'll get a bit involved in that. Really? You can tell my future by reading my palm? Oh, I'll check that out as well. Oh, power of positive thinking. Yeah. And so I was kind of collecting all these ideas about how to live my life based on what suited me at the time and what justified the decisions that I'd been making. <clears throat> Unlike the son in the story, I didn't feed pigs. There weren't many pigs around. My job at the time was something I really enjoyed. I was teaching speech and drama to children through to adults and working in studios with that, while also working in creches and studying towards uh, working in a community aid and development career, which I later did and loved. So I'm, I'm saying this to kind of paint a bit of a picture, that the outward signs, the out outward picture looked relatively fine. There was uh, a successful career forming, there was a dynamic social life, dynamic in my opinion, you know, there was parties to go to and friends to meet and things to try. Um, the world was my stomping ground and I was stomping, I was travelling overseas as much as I could and just enjoying life. However, there was this little niggling feeling that there's something more. I'm like, I just couldn't suppress it, I kind of like shoved it out of my mind every time I thought about it, there's just something more to life. There's this sort of void of, what's it all about anyway? Like, what's the point of all of this anyway? Around the time of practicing Buddhism, I'd had this reoccurring dream that now feels a bit relevant to share. You know, often dreams are happy and you have good dreams. One of my favorite dreams is, it seems to be um, like a one, 
I don't know if I've had a few times in my lifetime, I'm driving in this car and people are chasing me and suddenly I just switch to flying and I just take off and I fly. And they're like, far out, how did she do that? And no one knows and I just fly away. I don't know why I dream like that, but that's one of my happy dreams that I love. Well, this one in Thailand wasn't a happy dream like that. This one was quite confronting, so bear with me. But I, I, I woke up in this, well, no, in this dream, I found myself walking through a cemetery, and it was black and white, and there was a lot of dark shadows that kind of were fearful. They were, they were trying to lean into me, so to speak, and it smelt like death. Like, there was, you didn't want to be in this cemetery. It wasn't a pleasant place to be, and I just remember thinking, oh, gross, it's black and white and full of fear and full of darkness and death. And each time I'd be wandering through this path, trying to sort of, you know, be obscure <laughs> so these shadows didn't notice me. And then in the dream, I'd looked up, and always there was this big white heavenly figure, and he was wearing white robes, and it's kind of, it was all white, but at the same time it was rainbowy. Go figure how that can happen, but it was the case. And I looked at his face, and I just remember each time in the dream, whenever I looked at his face, he was looking at me like he knew me. He was looking at me like he loved me. And there was this comfort and this compassion and this mercy flooding from his eyes. And I remember in the dream thinking, this is Jesus. This is Jesus in my dream. And his hands were like that, and it was almost like he was beckoning me towards him. Both the necklace and the dream were kind of out of the blue. I didn't have those sorts of experiences a lot, and I didn't know what to do with them. So I just shelved them and thought, I'll write that down. I'll think about that later. I'll get on with life. In hindsight, those dreams were probably a warning from God to me about where my life was going. But I didn't understand that, and it's only in hindsight that I've been able to sort of recognise that. We're going to continue with the story of the prodigal son. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. In this son, sorry, in this story, the son, despite growing up in a home of wealth and comfort, decided he was missing out on the good life. He saw what looked like freedom, prostitutes, endless parties, wealth, friends, and he wanted to experience it all for himself. The story tells us that he soon came to a place of deep need and found out that he'd been sold a fake image of what the good life was. His, money's, his money ran out, he was tending pigs, which for a Jewish culture was deeply humiliating. He was alone and he was hungry. And in that lonely place, he came to his senses and realised far out, even the servants in my father's home have got it better than this. Can any of you relate to any of that story? Maybe at times in your life you felt alone and hungry. Maybe like the son you made a decision once way back when. 
And you're like, I've just got to live out the consequences now. Like, my life is the way it is because I did something wrong and I'm, I've just got to live like that now. Perhaps it's so complex that you don't even know how to fix things. Or like me, there was just this niggling sense of a hole in my heart. You know, that's kind of how I described it um, earlier on, going, there's just a void there and I don't know what it is and I don't know how to fill it. The son came to his senses. He had that moment of awakening. And for me, I had that a few years later when I was 21 and living in China. I'd been given a scholarship to study history over there and so was living with 10 others in Shanghai. While I got on the plane, sort of just an hour or two, I boarded the plane to go to China. My mum told me that she had breast cancer and she was about to start chemo or radium therapy, I think it was. What was? And... There was a few challenges in China. One of the people in our group were wanted by the Communist Party, so we found out our, our room was being bugged a little bit through it. I contracted pneumonia. There was a whole lot of different elements that it was just complex and challenging. And all the things that I'd normally depended on, my family and friends, they were an ocean away, all these different, like, Buddhism, power of positive thinking, none of these things worked, none of these things that I'd been depending on. I even started singing Enya quite a lot, like just to calm my mind down, you know, like sail away, sail away, sail away. <laughs> it didn't even help, like I'd go figure, singing Enya didn't help me, but that's where I was at. I'm like, I'll try it, I'll try Enya. I was in the pits, but I was very slow to admit it. At the same time, some Christian friends, there was a family that were living there, and they were just really proactive in caring for me. They were loving me, they were answer my, answering my questions, they were sort of, in hindsight, deliberately friending me, but they were so genuine in doing that. And as I um, started asking them about, tell me about your marriage, it's so loving, but you've been married for so long. Tell me about your kids, like, you raise them so patiently. Tell me about your dinner parties, you're, you're so humble, like you don't have much, but what you have you're so generous with. I just noticed all these things and being intensely curious most of the time, like I just had a whole lot of questions for them. And each time they would tell me, it's because of our relationship with God. And it just didn't make much sense. I'm like, what does that even mean? So they would open the Bible and they showed me some different passages about why they lived the way they lived. Here's one of them. They said, Jesus said to love God with all of your heart, all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbours as yourself. And they said, Julie, God loves us, and he's asked us to go and love others. And I was like, wow, you actually believe it, and you're living it. It was fascinating to me. So on the one hand, I was a bit intrigued by these people following Jesus and having answers to the questions that I was asking. But on the other hand... Their lifestyle was so radically different from my try everything, worship foreign gods, do whatever I could do and whatever was open to me at the time lifestyle. And it was a bit of a conundrum. What was I going to do with this new news that I'd found out? Yes, I'd grown up in a home which taught to be kind to each other, taught to be a good person. Yes, we had Christians stamped in our passport. Yes, we went to church once or twice a year. You could probably guess the services that we went to. <laughs> Yet these new friends, these Jesus followers, were teaching me, Julie, it's not enough. Like being a good person, it's not about being a good person. It's not about being kind to each other. 
Like, yes, that's an outflow of it, but at the crux of Christianity, it's like, do you believe in Jesus? Who are you leaning on? Who are you depending on? For me at the time, that was radical, yet at the same time, so delightfully simple. They'd taught me that every single person had failed to love God with their whole heart, their whole mind, and their whole soul. That every person on the planet had failed to love their neighbour as themselves. And they taught me that the word for that was sin. And I was startled. Is that sin? Because I thought sin was when you commit genocide. Like, I know that's like a big one, but I just had thought sin is only for the worst of the worst, like the, the genocide, the people that committed genocide, or the ones that might have really brutally murdered someone, like on that kind of end of it. So when they describe sin as not trusting in God, not loving him with everything you've got, it was pretty confronting to me. I'm like, well, if that's your definition of someone who sinned, I definitely have, given what I just shared. The problem with sin is that when God's loving you and wanting to shower care and provision and relationship, he wants to offer that to you, sin is kind of going, I see that, but no, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in the ways that I've learned to do it. And it's effectively turning your back to God. And by doing that, we separate ourselves from God when we do that. And that separation is eternal. The thing is, every person on the planet has done this. God knew that this was going to happen. And he wanted so much to have relationship with us again that he sent his son to die for us. He sent his son to walk on the planet in a way which modelled love, in a way which modelled trusting in the Father, leaning in and depending on the Heavenly Father. So it doesn't require us to do hours of meditation, decades of being a good person, heaps of giving money to good charities. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He took on the sin of the world and died and rose again, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. When I talk to these friends about, but I was baptized as a child. Like, I'll show you my passport. I'll show you these things that I've been involved in that kind of show I'm connected to church in some way, sometimes. And they, they pointed it to this and say, said, Jesus taught us this. And he said, confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. And I liken it back to those dreams that I had. Yes, I knew Jesus was the person in the dream, and I thought that was enough. Somehow he was showing me he was there for me. But what I learnt later was, oh no, I actually need to respond and say yes to this offer that he's giving me. Now I'm sure um, people in the room have different opinions on this, and that's okay. There's always been different opinions to the claims of Jesus Christ. One of those responses might be, no, no, I don't believe that, actually. People since the first century have thought that as well. You're in company with others. Another one, another response might be, huh, interesting. I'll think about that. And I must say, I, I'm not in judgment on any response you have because I've been all three of them at different times. 
I would encourage you, if you're thinking about it, be proactive about that. Take a free, on our welcome desk, we've got some free gospels. It's the sort of an autobiography of the, no, a biography on the, the life of Jesus. Take one and read it. Circle the questions you have and then ask Kirk the, the answers. <laughs> Bring them along to him and like, you know, or ask your friend, what does this mean? What does this mean? I remember in China, quite frustrated, like I'd asked all these questions and they'd given answers. I didn't agree with them, but they still had answers for what they believed. And I kind of felt like I was a bit on a precipice, you know, like, oh, I'm kind of leaning into this, but I just don't know what it's going to mean for my life. And one day I prayed and said, God, if you're real, and it was a very big if at the time, I wasn't sure, if you're real and if Jesus is the way to knowing you, I want you to show me because I want to live for you if that's the case. Well, warning. When you pray a prayer from your heart, God will answer you. And he did answer and respond to me in many ways that I'm happy to share about later afterwards. But many ways that he showed me like, I am your God and I know you. And so I prayed with my friends Um, a simple prayer that I'm going to offer to people to pray tonight if they'd like to. The format was essentially, sorry, thank you, please. Sorry, God, for sinning against you, for trusting in myself, for going my way and not your way. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me, for dying and rising again so I can have restored relationship with my heavenly Father. And please be my Lord and my Saviour. Be the number one in my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to live for you. It was a prayer similar to that, and I meant it. Well, following that, in an instant, everything changed. Where previously there'd been this sense of there's a hole in my heart or there's a void there, all of a sudden my heart was so full of joy and so full of life And so full of like a sense of knowing God and knowing I don't need to search anymore. I don't need to look anymore. He's he's got me. I've got him. This is awesome. Where previously I'd been involved in so many different things, he just changed the desires in my heart. Suddenly I didn't want to be trying all these different things. Suddenly he was enough. Where previously I was like, should have had a tattoo, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out. I need to go do it all. Suddenly he just assured me, I'm for you, and any good thing in your life, I'm going to bring to you. I'm going to lead you into goodness. It's going to go ahead of you, and you're going to experience the goodness of God. There was a whole lot of changes which occurred afterwards that continued for decades, to be honest. In the story Renee read, the son had decided to return to his father's home, but he didn't know the response that he'd receive or what his future would look like. But he knew what the little bit that he knew of his father, he had hope that it was better than what he was going to be living. For me, I had a glimpse of the father's heart, God's heart for me when I was in that temple, despite being quite far away, worshipping other gods, in fact. In the midst, when I was in strife and I was full of fear, I called out to God and he showed me, I'm here for you. I'm bringing you peace. I've My resources are your resources. Like, he was there responding to me, even in the midst of it. You know, and you'd read social media, or you'd read the news. I don't know what your perception of God is, but that would be a pretty good time to throw down lightning, right? You know, like, Julie, what are you doing? What are you doing? This isn't what I want you to do. And yet, he showed me love and grace and met me where I was at. 
Let's continue with the story and see how the father in the story responds to the runaway son there. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Not only did he welcome him back, but we also see that he grabbed all that he had to celebrate over him and to rejoice over him. Yep, we'll see that. (laughs) So good. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Thank you. You might be wondering, how's the father going to respond to me? Would it be like Julie's just mentioned? Would it be like the story? Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm too far away. Like I'd be a hypocrite to come to God now. Or maybe what I've done is just too big. I was the one that attempted genocide. I don't know, I I hope not, but you know, like, we just don't know, and the things in our own mind are pretty big. Or I just don't know if I could do that, if God knows me. And I find a helpful illustration is I've got a little story and a little analogy to share with you in an illustration in closing. I don't know if anyone else has ever done this, but when I was in primary school, um, quite a long way away, I used to play this little game He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Does anyone else know this little game? It's not just me. Right, so he loves me, he loves me not. And the thing is, you kind of would hedge your bets on how this little grade one a crush is going to go, you know, based on what petal you'd end with. He loves me, he loves me not, and you'd go through. And human love's a bit like that, right? You kind of don't know. He loves me, well, I thought he loved me, but no, he loves me not, (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) Maybe it's the same in marriages as well. Maybe there's just some days it's like, good thing we said those vows, because, honey, anyway, I don't know, I don't know. (laughs) So he loves me, he loves me not. The challenge is that sometimes we take that human perception of how love works, and we place it on God. So we say, God loves me, God loves me not. God loves me when I go to church, read the Bible, and talk to him every day. God loves me not when I'm in a Buddhist temple worshipping other gods. God loves me when I'm a great person. God doesn't love me when I'm not. God loves me most of the times. Sometimes God doesn't love me. You get the picture. Like We kind of frame it on according, to, according to our own human standards of what love is. Yet God's love is so out of this world. God's love is a love we're so unfamiliar with, yet it's so good. It's steadfast and strong, personal, intimate, consistent, giving. He left heaven to come to earth to live as love to the people around him in the form of Jesus Christ. He did that so that the people on earth could see what God looked like in the person of Jesus 
And if they wanted to choose to do so, to turn from their way, to trust in Jesus and have restored relationship with their heavenly father. The good news with Jesus is that it's a lot more like this. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. And it continues. And it might look a little bit corny, but it's true. And so sometimes when you, you, know, you see things happening up here, it's like kids. Are there any kids here? No, the kids are all outside. Kids, don't try this at home. But actually, I want to say adults, try this at home. Like, go grab a flower this week and say over yourself, because it's true about you as much as it's true about me. God loves you. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you to every person in this room. And it probably looks a tiny bit corny and you're like, does she realise what she looks like up there? I don't know. But the thing is, he's so good that it's, it's a truth that's worth like hammering in. And if you're questioning that, if you're doubting that, pick a flower and just say it over yourself until you begin to believe that God is for you, that he loves you, that he knows you, and that he's moved heaven and earth to have restored relationship with you. So what does that mean? Well, nothing can separate you from the love of God. However, we choose how we respond to that love. We choose. We choose with no, we choose with not yet, or we choose with a resounding, yes, I'm 100% in. So I'm going to finish by praying that prayer that I mentioned I would. And there will be a time after the songs, a response time. I want you to pray with me now if you would like to. But myself and some others will be waiting there after the final song to to talk to you, um, to pray with you further, or to just answer any questions you might have as well. So we're going to close in prayer and then the um, band will continue. Heavenly Father, sorry for the ways that we have trusted in our own selves, that we've not trusted in you. Sorry, God, where we've not loved others as ourselves and we've not loved you with our whole heart, mind and strength. Father, forgive us for our sins. Thank you for dying and rising again. Thank you for coming and showing us a new way to love and out of this world an amazing way of your love to us. Please, Lord, come and live in my life, Jesus. Be my Lord. Be my Saviour. Teach me to follow you. Holy Spirit, fill me today and let me follow your ways all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.